morning, Memphis. Happy Saturday. Happy Lunar New Year. Happy Valentine's Day. It's a weekend of celebrations. And also, um, happy early birthday to me because my birthday is on Monday. So this is, in fact, a celebration, um, an exciting weekend. And I'm so glad that we're able to spend some of it together. I'm Sanaa, and you're listening to Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7. FM. Every Saturday morning, I'm joined by experts from across the country who are investigating our most pressing social issues and common curiosities. Over the next hour, we'll learn about their motivations, inspirations, and of course, what they know about the world around us. So grab that cup of coffee and get ready for a fun and insightful conversation. So one thing we know a lot about here in Memphis besides barbecue, is the blues. But the blues can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So to tell us more about the blues is Dr. Brian Foster. Dr. Brian Foster is an assistant professor of sociology and Southern studies at the University of Mississippi. He is also the director of the Mississippi Hill Country Oral History Collective. He is a native Mississippian, a writer, a filmmaker, and his recently published book is entitled, I Don't Like the Blues, Race, place and the backbeat of black life. Welcome Dr. Foster. How are you? I am I'm pretty good. I'm I'm happy to be here. I'm excited to be here. Happy early birthday to you. Thank you so much. <laughs> I am so glad you are here. Um first I just have to say I absolutely loved reading your book. Absolutely wow. loved it. Um not just the stories you were able to share with us um, and obviously the knowledge of the hundreds of people y'all that you interviewed, um, but really just the style of the book, the composition yeah. of the book. Um, and I do have some questions about that, but uh, because I feel like you made a lot of very intentional decisions about what you wrote and how yes. you decided to write it. But I want to save those for the end because I want okay. our listeners to know, you know, what the book is actually, you know, about. Um, so for our listeners, would you just give them kind of a summary of I don't like the blues? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so first, I mean, thank you so much for saying that about the book. I, I'm proud of it. Uh, and, and I think that's really all that, that I have to say about it as far as that goes, that I'm proud of it. It is the thing that way back then, way back when, before I knew what was what and which was which, um, it is the thing that I hope to be able to make from, from that work and that time that I spent in Mississippi. So, um, so I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Yeah, I Don't Like the Blues tells a couple of stories on, on, on the front side or kind of the, the prelude um, to the main story is this story of blues development, uh, blues, the, the rise of blues tourism in, in the Mississippi Delta, especially in Clarksdale, uh, between roughly the early 80s, late 70s, early 80s, and, and the present, uh, peaking probably most, the most in the early 2000s. So we see this uh, proliferation of blues clubs and blues festivals and blues performance venues and heritage markers. Uh, 2003, the state of Mississippi establishes the, the Mississippi Blues Commission. Um, so, so those sorts of things as they came to the town of Clarksdale in the Delta region. And then the second story and the main story is about what Black folks, uh, in particular Black native and long-term residents of Clarksdale, who by the historical record are 
the progenitors of, um, the descendants of, of, of the Delta blues people, of the folks who first sang and made the music. So that second story is about what those folks have to say about, about blues development in Clarksdale and in the Delta and, and about blues music and black culture um, and about blues living, right? So to, to that comment that you made kind of to start, uh, the folks that I talked to told me that the blues for them is a lot of different things. But but that's it. It's kind of on one side, it's a story of blues tourism in the Delta. On the other, it's a story of of how black folks feel about blues tourism in the Delta. And, and the punchline is in the book's title. I don't like it. They don't like it. <laughs> yes, yes. So I'm sure, of course, our listeners are very familiar with the blues, right? Us being here in Memphis, just down the street from Clarksdale. And I'm willing to bet that a lot of folks listening have even been to the Delta Blues Museum um, as well, which you talk a little bit about in the book. Um, but I love this focus on, you know, how do Black folks in Clarksdale really think about this blues development project, right, that's supposed yeah. to do all this work of uplift. Um, we know all yep. the stats around Mississippi being the last at basically every measure um, for health, education, um, socioeconomic status, yeah. all of that. Um, so let's just talk a little bit about that first piece about the blues development for that region and yeah. did it do what it said it would do which is to you know bring money and you know i guess some sort of prosperity to folks in the delta the answer the, the answer to the question and then i'll do i'm trying to do a, a be more effective at at um because i can i can talk and i can meander but i'm a, the direct answer <laughs> to the question is that is that yeah i think it did work i mm -hmm. think that i think that the story of blues development in the delta is a is a success story mm -hmm. um uh if we define success in the terms of the folks who were calling the shot at the time in the mm -hmm. early 80s and into the 90s the delta blues and the clarksdale blues was largely the domain of blues of white blues enthusiasts uh and white blues music musicians and singers and white entrepreneurs and local elected officials and then, of course, as the system kind of develops uh, and matures and expands, of course, you see black singers and musicians kind of on the circuit of clubs and festivals. Um, then we get to the to the early 2000s, a moment where not just in in Clarksdale or the Delta, but at the state level, uh, tourism and hospitality uh, emerge as this idea uh, or this avenue. Uh, I said, I guess the idea of hospitality and tourism as an economic engine uh, emerges as an idea for for folks at the highest levels of leadership, including our governor at the time in 2003, Haley Barber. And so we get the get the Mississippi Blues Commission. And so across the board for those folks, for for white blues enthusiasts and local elected officials and stakeholders and elected officials at the state level, the blues in particular in tourism cultures more broadly was was imagined as an additional source of revenue for the state for the region and then again for those municipalities like clarksdale and it has been it has been every year um clarksdale COVID will, will obviously disrupt this but but pre-covid in the before times every year the the um uh the the town's kind of blues tourism system attracts 130, 140,000 folks mm. every year uh, generates uh, revenues, not in the thousands, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands, but in the millions and millions. 
Uh, and so in, in that way, yeah, it's been it's been remarkably successful mm-hmm. uh, and, and probably portends to continue to be successful in that way. What the data show, though, mm-hmm. um, by by any and every metric is that the folks who have been struggling or challenged by the public infrastructure, the opportunity structure in Clarksdale, they're the same ones who are struggling and in similar ways now. Uh, the folks who largely, as the book gets said in different ways, aren't so much a part of the blues tourism system, Black folks, mm-hmm. uh, in particular, Black residents, Black native and long-term residents of Clarksdale. Those folks haven't seen, at least the data suggests, um, median household income, poverty, educational outcomes, everyday lived experience. I spent a lot of time with a lot of folks. Uh, those folks, uh, uh, in the lives and outcomes of those folks, nah, the blues tourism ain't been, ain't, ain't been a success at all. But I would venture to say, I would argue a part of the point of the book is that those folks weren't really in the minds of, of the kind of uh, folks at the top of, of the tourism system as it started to develop and expand in the 80s and the 90s into the 2000s. So, so yeah, it's been successful from the top down. Now it ain't been successful from the bottom up, especially when we consider um, who has been at the bottom. Uh, and that's been a story. That's the story of development in the Delta from mm-hmm. from after the great from after the Great Flood and the Mississippi River flood in 1927. We get federal relief money pouring into the region. Some folks get it, some folks don't. Black folks are the ones who don't. The New Deal through the 30s, money pouring into the region as a corrective to as a way to 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 address what was happening as a result of the Great Depression. A lot of folks got that money and got support, and a lot of folks didn't. Black folks were the ones who didn't. That's been the story uh, from then to now, and that's the story of the blues. So successful, yeah, but for who? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I love that question for who, right? Successful for who? And what I really appreciate about your book is, like you said, we can see some of these same redevelopment stories happening in different parts of the South. I mean, I'm thinking, of course, about Bill Street and Memphis's own, uh, you know, focus on music and very a similar story, right, um, to what's happening or what has been happening um, in Clarksdale as well. And the Bill Street story, I know you're gonna you're gonna move on. This will take two seconds. The Bill Street story, the Memphis blues story is inseparable from, from the Delta's blues story, especially, I mean, I guess both in terms of the culture and the music, but also in terms of kind of you know where we are in this conversation, the tourism component. Mm-hmm. Um, folks in the Delta looked to to Bill Street and looked to what was happening in Memphis at different points in this 40-year period now. So from the from the early 80s to now. Uh, look to Memphis uh, for answers. Look to Memphis and Bill Street as a model. So, so what's happening in Bill Street is, I mean, at the at sort of theoretically, symbolically mirrors the story of race and tourism and the blues and the Delta. But like literally, like we, the Delta was looking to Memphis for some answers and for some models. Mm-hmm. And still, this question comes up again, even if we look in the Memphis context. Successful for whom? To what metrics? Right. Um, And I love how your book, you know, asks these questions, right? So not only thinking about this redevelopment story, successful for whom, but also this blues story of what is the blues and to whom, right? What is that meaning? Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, that was, I I got to Clarksdale in 2014 and maybe the story of how that, that came about will come up or maybe it won't, but I got, I got to Clarksdale in, in 2014 
not not only not ex- expecting but but hoping like hoping to not write a blues story <laughs> hoping that uh, I, and i say this in different in different ways and in different parts of the book like i i didn't want to write a blues book literally i did not want to write a book you know where one of the key words was blues um <laughs> and and it was as i mean as ethnography requires it was through these conversations with folks um from from 15 years old to 71 i talked to younger folks 71 was the oldest that's a woman that i call miss irene in the book and a couple other folks were were that age but across the board folks uh in conversation oftentimes with you know unprompted without me without me mentioning blues first would bring up the blues the blues is this the blues is that or or would talk about the blues uh, kind of in the context of of clarksdale and so you know it was it was it was organic, like the the story that I tell here, and and the way that, and, and what I try to do with the blues, the way that I try to represent, the ways that folks talked about the blues. It's, you know, to that last, it's 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 a direct function of of what I was hearing, what folks what folks were sharing with me. Mm-hmm. Because it feels like you went there to do a story about education in the South, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or I, in Clarksdale it, specifically. I, I, I did. I, I was, uh, you know, before Clarksdale, I was going to Meridian. Meridian was was uh, in the belly of this um, school to prison pipeline, Department of Justice investigation. And and so I had scouted out uh, a place to live in Meridian. I was building out my roster of folks. I had I was talking with folks, principal at a school in Meridian. Uh, and then in Clarksdale, there was there were there were two things that happened. They got a black superintendent. And then there was this cheating scandal at one of the local elementary schools. And and it was for those two reasons and and no other ones, no other reasons than those two that I said, you know what, I'm gonna go to Clarksdale. <laughs> I I I knew I knew that Clarksdale had this tie to the blues. Um, I knew about the Delta from like a socioeconomic or kind of like demographic profile perspective, but I went to Clarksdale for those two reasons. And and yeah, it was it was about race and education. I taught. I spent so I've spent months at an elementary school in Clarksdale. I don't, and and I don't know if I say this in the in the methodological note at the end, but I purposely don't mention any of, at least in the in the main body of the book, I don't talk about my time in the schools. But I spent I spent you know a significant amount of time at um at a local elementary school. But the you know as is the case in Clarksdale the blues kind of hit me in my face and it, and it just and it kept coming it wouldn't leave me alone and so we get a book where blues is not only the key word but it's <laughs> in the damn it's in the title so the blues took a hold of you even though you were trying to run from it as the blues does <laughs> as the blues does there it is there it is <laughs> so what was it that really made you say okay this is the story it's not the education piece. It was, it was in, in the introduction, I start with a conversation. In the introduction of the book, I start with a conversation um, with a woman who I call Miss Irene Sandiford. She's 71. She is, for all intents and purposes, a native of Mississippi, though she was born in a city in the Northeast. But she, she spent so much of her childhood in between Memphis. There's that connection again between Memphis and Clarksdale. Um, and then as a young girl, um, she is, she moves to, she moves to the state, but, but it's in this conversation with, with the woman who I call Miss Irene, where I realize 
oh, okay, this is the story. This is the project. There's a moment in the conversation where where she's telling me um, about, you know, I think I asked her something like, what's your favorite music or what kind of music do you listen to? Uh, and and this was even more, this was this was like a life history interview. We had I spent so much time in her office that morning. We had talked about her childhood, her early adulthood, marriage, friends, so forth and so on, family, her children. Um, and then there was there was this this question. I think me being driven by by just a general curiosity. There's this question about her favorite music, and she goes, What's the guy who sings mom's apple pie? I like him, I love him. Um, and and me, I'm I grew up in northeast Mississippi. Southern Soul Blues was the soundtrack of Saturday mornings for me. Uh, and so Mom's Apple Pie, you know, it was almost reflexive. You're like, Mom's Apple Pie, Tyrone Davis. Uh, and, and in my mind, Tyrone Davis, Southern Soul Blues singer, like I'm, that's a point of connection between mm -hmm. us. It's, we, we laugh, she laughs, we laugh about it. She goes on to talk about Marvin Gaye and Luther Vandross and some other folks that she likes. Um, but this point about Mom's Apple Pie and Tyrone Davis kind of echoes for me, especially two minutes later when she says, I don't like the blues, it saddens me. Something doesn't kind of square. Something doesn't fit or there's something missing. There, there's a lot of space that, that you know, there, there's something that exists in the space between what's the guy that sings Mom's Apple Pie, I like him, I love him, and I don't like the blues. There's something in that space that requires like excavating. Uh, and so that was the moment I'm like, okay, so I got to do something with this. And then, and then for the next, for the, for the next 15 minutes of, of conversation, she has all of these things to say about blues tourism in Clarksdale, mm -hmm. naming the names of, of, of local venues. Um, and, and at every turn, at every turn, there is this sense of dissatisfaction and frustration uh, and, and anger and anger mm -hmm. and 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 it and and this is the conversation this 20 minute um this kind of 20 minute snippet from this winding three hour however long like it, three plus hour long interview this 20 minute snippet is the moment where where it becomes a blues project and my task becomes unpacking what it is black folks in Clarksdale mean when they say blues in that part of the conversation, there are three different things at work. Even in, in that single conversation, in that in that brief moment, in that single conversation, there's a point about blues music, mm -hmm. Mom's Apple Pie, Tyrone Davis. I don't like the blues. But then there's also a point about like blues living, mm -hmm. blues experiences. I don't like the blues, it saddens me. That ain't just about a harmonica and a guitar and Bobby Blue Bland. Um, that's about a set of lived experiences that for Miss Irene, and as I would learn for other folks, have come to be associated with uh, with blues. And in fact, what the blues actually are, what the blues have been the whole time, despite what, um, and, and, I, and I talk about the books on my shelves, I got maybe 10 blues books behind me. Um, despite what, what some folks who write about blues would suggest, the blues for, for, for Black folks in Clarkson was about lived experience. And then the third piece was, was about blues tourism. And so, you know, if the, the, the task and the exciting part for me was, was finding a way to, to, to sketch that out, to sketch these different, three different ways that folks think and talk about the blues in a way that was, I think, both coherent and true to, um, to the folks that I spent all that time with, but also, and this is the sociology piece, also instructive, would also teach us something 
um, about ourselves and about the world. And if nothing else, about the South and about the sip. Mm -hmm. Yes, and you do that so beautifully throughout this book. Um, let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, I'd like to hear you share with our listeners this idea of a blues epistemology and what that means and what that really allows you to do in this book. Yeah. You're Got listening okay. to Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. This is Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Sanaa, and we're here with Dr. Brian Foster talking about his book, I Don't Like the Blues, Race, Place, and the Backbeat of Black Life. So before the break, um, I was just mentioning this idea as you introduce it to us in the book of a blues epistemology. And can you just share with us what that means? Yeah, so the blues epistemology is this idea that we get from the work of Clyde Woods, who's a geographer. Uh, the book is Development Arrested. I think it's race and what is it? The blues and plantation power in the Mississippi Delta. Um, and it's in this book that that Clyde Woods kind of lays out this exhaustive history of, of development in the Delta region, starting with the settlement years in the early 1800s and coming all the way up through the through the late 90s where we get the establishment of the Lower Mississippi Delta Development Commission. We get some labor um, strikes and organizing in Tunica. Uh, and so he lays out this, this exhaustive history and then overlays that history with um, this kind of uh, the story of the blues, the story of the development and expansion of blues practice, of blues music. Uh, and his argument is that it's it's like it's that these conditions the, that the that the conditions of of everyday life the things that black folks in the delta uh the things that they were dealing with uh again at the turn of this is the turn of the 20th century so uh from the from the late 1800s i think post emancipation reconstruction coming into the into the 20th century uh, it's these conditions that that produce a set of of behaviors that produce like that that engender a certain sensibility it's these set of conditions that folks black folks in the delta are like grappling with and trying to make sense of and trying to survive and build families and build communities uh in the midst of and and as is the case with with human life in these, uh, from, from day to day and week to week and month to month and year to year and generation to generation, there are cultural traditions um, that develop and, and are reinforced. Uh, and and there's, there's art and literature and, and, and different ways of engaging with language. All of these things, these strategies that Black folks use to make sense and survive this, this moment in time, this set of conditions, all of these things, Clyde Woods argues, like are blues, are are the elements of a blues epistemology. Epistemology concerns like the the study of truth and knowledge. Um, and and I'll stop there to keep it kind of to keep it straightforward. And so so Clyde Woods is saying that like the things that Black folks relied on to make sense of the world that they lived in, um, to determine what was real for them what might be possible for them. All of those different behaviors and sensibilities and cultural traditions and ways of engaging with language, all of those things are, are like the blues. In the early 1900s, we, we, we get 
um, sort of the parameters of like blues music. We start to we start to get this idea. We start to see it in terms of um, like uh, of music, um, the composition of music and, and genre labels and so forth. We start to get a sense of of blues music. What Clive Wood says is is that that music that those sort of music formations emerge from this set of lived experiences and the behaviors and perspectives um, that those experiences engendered and required. I do the work, and I and I hope I, I I think I effectively do the work of sketching some of how the blues epistemology kind of plays out today. Again, epistemology being the ways that folks make sense of the world, in particular, Black folks, Black Southerners, Black Mississippians make sense of the world um, and, and move through the world and resist um, inequities, inequality, things that, that they don't feel should be so, um, and, and establish families and communities and, and so forth and so on. So it's, it's, it's epistemology we can think of as like a way of living, a way of seeing and being in the world. Mm -hmm. And I think what you really draw out from that is, of course, in the title of your book, right, the backbeat, right? So really focusing on that and putting it in conversation with this broader idea of, uh, right, that you were just talking about, yeah. about blues yeah. epistemology, but really focusing on this piece, yeah. the backbeat, and you talk about this idea of negation as well yeah. as kind yeah. of part of yeah. that. Yeah, so, so if, so, one one way that I one way that I I try to draw parallels between blues music and and all of the other facets of the blues epistemology is to say that the reason that the blues sounded like it did is is black life was like it was like the reason that blues music took on the sound if you listen to old style blues music if you listen to delta uh, delta blues from the early 1900s those sounds are a direct function, are tied to the material conditions of black life at that moment uh, in time. And so this idea of the backbeat, which is, is the primary analytic device, is, is the thing that, that so much of the argument of the book, or actually it's a, it's a way for me to, to try and communicate uh, one, of the, one of the things that I hope the book accomplishes. Uh, the, the value I think of the backbeat is that it, it, it tries to mimic that same move of saying this element of blues music, use of the backbeat, I'll say, I say what the backbeat is in a second, um, this element of blues music is, is tied directly to a manner of seeing and being in the world. Mm -hmm. The blues uses the backbeat because sometimes black life moves in a backbeat kind of way. In terms of music, the backbeat is a way of, uh, it's a type of rhythm. So for a while, Western music asked folks to clap on the on the one and three. So think of uh, think of a measure written in like common time, one, two, three, four. For a long time, Western music goes one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. The blues sound, which we get primarily from the communicative uh, traditions, the, the rhythmic percussive traditions of West Africa, the blues sound says or asks, well, what happens if we don't emphasize the one, two, three, four, and actually emphasize the two and the four. So not one, two, three, four, but one, two, three, four. And in the same way, the book, my book suggests, in the same way that that backbeat emphasis transforms what Western music sounds like and unlocks a new world of possibilities for what Western music might sound like. Um, 
paying attention to the backbeat uh, areas, the backbeat components, the backbeat sensibilities of black life can teach us something about the world we live in, can unlock a new set of questions, um, mm -hmm. new perspectives about the nature and the conditions uh, and the matter of black lives. So, so yeah, I mean, it's that's just, backbeat is my way of saying, is my way of, of saying what so many other folks have said from Mark Anthony Neal to Zandria Robinson and I could go on, is that like black culture looks and feels and smells and sounds like it does because black life looks and feels and smells and sounds like that. Um, and the same for the backbeat in blues music and the backbeat um, in the lives and perspectives of black folks. Mm -hmm. Yes, I mean, throughout this book, it is just, a, a, a beautiful kind of insight into how Black folks in Clarksdale are experiencing everything that's happening kind of around them in many ways um, and without them in many ways yeah, um, yeah. And, and what it, you know, what it really means for them. Um, I think a lot of people may or may not be surprised at how, you know, the hundreds of Black folks you talked to about blues and particularly blues development in the region, yeah, most yeah. of them did not attend any of these highly curated blues events, right, that are drawing people from all around the globe, yep. um, but they're not there. And you talk about going to an event on one of these blues weekends and one of the yep. folks there is supposed to meet you there, but of course he stands you up. And <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned in that story how like you're there, you're like probably one of the only black people there. And yep. one of the servers there is actually like, hey, you know, anything you need, you know, let me know. And you're thinking like, have we met before? Yeah. But there's a reason that he's, you know, right. <laughs> introducing to himself right. to you in that way and giving you that type of, you know, greeting. I I I I show up to this blues show uh uh at dusk. I did not want to go. I did not want to go. <laughs> I did not want to go. I knew I knew what I was getting into. Uh and for that reason, I and, and I say I knew because I had been at this point I had been in Clarksdale. So this would have been Jig Joint Festival. So this is April of, of 2015. So this is, you know, well into my into that first year there. And so I had I had hit up one of one of and and, and this person is is obviously a character um, in the book, is someone whose voice is represented in the book. But we had also developed this kind of friendship. And so I had hit him up. I'm like, bro, I'm going to the blue show, such and such and so and so. Um you know, let's ride, you know, you know how, like, let's go to the, you know, <laughs> let's go there and then we might do such and such after we can ride up to the casino after whatever. And, uh, and so I show up and of course he doesn't. And I knew he wasn't from, from, from the beginning. Uh, and, and I walk in and I immediately, I, I'm almost paralyzed, even though I knew, even though I expected, I guess maybe I didn't expect to literally be the only black person in the room other than the service workers, other than there are a couple of bartenders. Um, there are some folks in, in these uh, really loud orange like staff t-shirts that was the bouncer at the door. Everybody else, white folks. The, the folks playing the blues in the little performance area, white folks. Folks sitting down in the audience area, white. Everybody walking and milling and dancing and moving around. Uh, white folks. And so it's, you know, that becomes that scene in many different ways uh, is representative representative of of most every blues space I went to from, from the festival circuit where maybe I wasn't the only one, but I was certainly one of a very small 
minority of us, um, of black folks who who could be found, you know, uh, enjoying enjoying some of the busking and performances at say the Juke Joint Festival or the Sunflower River Festival, unless there was a gospel, unless there was a gospel act mm-hmm. or, or maybe a Southern soul act. So like Bobby Rush, black mm-hmm. folks gonna come listen to Bobby Rush. But, but that scene becomes, um, and, and, and the different scenes that it represents allowed for me, and it, and it took, it took some, some time for me to kind of, I think, see it in this way. Um, but it allows it, it allowed me to make this argument about absence and with and 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 withdrawing from types of places, like actually as as a way that Black folks are practice practicing agency, mm-hmm. are 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 making a determination about what types of places that they feel comfortable, that they feel welcomed, um, and then in the book I try to tie that to the ways that Black folks see and think about, you know, the prospects of interracial interactions of being in places uh, with, uh, you know, where there is is some degree of, of racial, de- where it's a bunch of white folks. I don't know why I'm trying to be, I don't know <laughs> what, I'm trying to, what I'm trying to do, but, um, and, so, and, and so that's back to this backbeat idea that, that there are, that, that there's value and importance in, in what we might think of as like the negative or counter sensibilities, perspectives of black life. There's value in the I don't like, I don't want, I'm tired of, I'm frustrated by. I ain't going to that. I'm not going over there. I ain't coming out there tonight. There is, there's a type of, um, it just sort of in terms of like everyday lived experience, there's some a, a sense of empowerment um, mm-hmm. in in the negative things that we typically maybe don't, we, we kind of want to rush away from. We want to rush towards something that's more affirming and positive. That there's there's a sense of empowerment in in those sensibilities from the perspectives of people, um, and there's there's an interpretive and analytic value again as a sociologist uh, when it comes to understanding any number of things from from racial identity um, to 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 stratification and inequality to community and regional development, um, in, instructive in in the way that we think about and approach those ideas. Mm-hmm. Yes, I love that because that that argument is so, of course, forceful throughout the book, the agency piece, the empowerment yeah. piece, I mean, yeah. um, and it's so important to consider you talk about it in terms of like racial geographies, and then even um, ideas of place unmaking as well, which I really love because I think we focus so much so much on that place making aspect yeah. of it, like you said, but here we have this very intentional place unmaking that is um, is agency. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I, you know, I, for me, place making is if I if I were to say that I study and write about one thing, it's place making. It's all of the things that that black folks and right now Black Mississippians do literally to make the places where they live and work and go to church, to make those places habitable and affirming and enjoyable and safe. All of the things, whether it's a Juneteenth festival, whether it's all of the traditions around around the Black church, whether it's food, like traditions around the, the preparation, the preservation of food, all of these different things, which sort of we might couch under this umbrella of placemaking, I think our I think it's it's vital. It's vital. There cannot be enough work on black placemaking. Um, but then but it ain't it ain't just those things. Those aren't the only ways that that black folks take up space. 
-hmm. Those aren't the only ways that Black folks orient themselves um, to space and in different places. Uh, and, and yeah, part of the work of that chapter in the book is to say, like, let's consider the places that Black folks don't go, not the places that Black folks are. are. So, so not gentrification, mm -hmm. not like top-down notions of, of unmaking a place um, or segregation, but like, I'm not going to that place ever mm -hmm. um, or at this certain time or under those conditions unmaking places uh, and, and, and the unmaking pieces you know it could also it, it could also mean and in Clarksdale in a lot of places it means we used to go to that and do that but like not no more you ain't going <laughs> like that no more. and 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 that move from we used to but not no more for me is instructive like there's a again there's there's a gap there's some space in between we used to go and but not no more that requires some excavation that requires some questions um and, and yeah and, and and yeah so that's that, that's absolutely a part of and and to be and to be honest as i as i think now just back on to thinking about the process of writing the book it was that chapter it was that's for the white folks and and that and this idea of place i'm making that kind of unlocked everything else in the book that kind of crystallized the argument for me um and so so yeah so that and you know and and and, and you mentioned negation right so so the one parallel to place I'm making that I talk about early in the book is this idea of negation, where it's like, it, I like the blues, but I don't really like, I like this blues, but I don't like what they do with the blues. And I don't want to hear the blues all the time. It's like these different, it's, it's liking and not liking or kind of being in between kind of the same thing, sometimes at the same time, uh, which is, which is, you know, a part of what we got from from that that example with Miss Irene, where she's like, I love the guy who sings Mom's Apple Pie, but I don't like the blues and I sure don't like what they doing with the blues in Clarksdale. Mm -hmm. um, and then and then in, in toward the end of the book, I, I, I try to I kind of look to the future a little bit or at least listen to how black folks in Clarksdale think about the future um, and, and try to do some work around exhaustion and speculation. And mm -hmm. so kind of where those two uh, dispositions and 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 actions uh, where they meet. There's there's lots of work, and I think it's kind of easy easy for us to 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 pay attention to what a people wants to see in the future. Mm -hmm. um, but I do, but I try to do some work and 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 capture all of the ways that Black folks in Clarksdale told me what they don't want to see in Clarksdale's future. I've been talking too much. <laughs> no, no. You know, I think what the what the book does so well is holding kind of these multiple and seemingly conflicting ideas and beliefs and, and hopes and knowledges together without having to make it a definitive kind of yes or no or black and white. It is that exactly as you said, it is that, you know, I love it, but I don't like it. And not trying to turn that into you know, one or the other. Exactly, yeah. And that's um, what's so great about it, like showing all that nuance, um, but also the depth, right? That these are complicated lives or complicated perspectives yeah. on these conditions, yeah. right? And what and, that means. Oh, I, I, I made this point quickly because I, I, I said a similar thing in a, in a, in a conversation the other day. Um, someone asked me about voter apathy 
uh, in particular among black folks. And this was a question about Mississippi politics. And my answer to them is similar to, to the move that I make in, in different places in the book. Um, and it's exactly this point that we're making now is to say, yes, absolutely, there is apathy. Have I heard folks say what I, everything from, everything from, everything from like, um, you know, uh, ideas that like, I'm going to vote for candidate A, but actually, you know, when, when it's processed, that vote is going to actually go to, to candidate B, like those types of conspiracies to my vote don't count. My vote don't matter. It ain't going to make a difference. Have I heard those things from folks here? Absolutely. I didn't talk to, I didn't talk to, I don't know. I, I, I lost count. I pull up my spreadsheet. I am talking to 400 Mississippians on the record, hundreds more off the record. Have I heard that many, many times? But I also hear other things. I also hear frustration and exhaustion directed at a set of conditions that have been, not just now, but for generations past. And if we want to emphasize and talk about apathy, we got to talk about the frustration and exhaustion, which means we also have to talk about the conditions that those sensibilities are, are expressed in response to. There are all, and, and there are other things too, in, 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 in conjunction with the apathy and frustration and exhaustion, there is hope and optimism and a will to survive in a place that don't want folks to survive. All of those things are, are what it means, what it has meant and what it means to be black in Mississippi uh, and by extension, what it means to be black in this country. Uh, and yeah, that's the point is that like, it's all of those things at the same time that folks are expressing and also grappling with and finding ways to make sense of. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, well, let's take another quick break. You're listening to Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. And we're back on Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Sanaa and I'm here with Dr. Brian Foster, a professor of sociology and Southern studies at the University of Mississippi. And we've been talking about his book, I Don't Like the Blues, Race, Place, and the Backbeat of Black Life. And I wanna get into a little bit of the actual writing itself uh, yes. because- yes. <laughs> Because I said it at the beginning, and it's so true. I loved reading the book uh, because it's just so beautifully written. And um, let me just ask you, okay, what did you, you made some decisions yeah. about the actual writing, the style, yeah, the words you yeah. use, the way it's constructed. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah. Um, so I, I talk first structurally about it, about the book, and then and then get maybe into some of the stylistic decisions. So the, the one thing that I'll emphasize is, is the prelude, um, is what I call the prelude in the book, which comes before the become, comes before the intro. Um, and and you'll notice that there's a lot of I, 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 mm -hmm. I, I. I start the, the first line is I got it wrong. And 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 I and I center myself from from first line to last. Uh, and that's purposive. That is my way of saying as a sociologist that like, I'm going to be all up in this, that I don't, I don't, I don't purport, nor do I want to be objective in the way, in the way that so the social sciences more broadly typically uh, frame objectivity. I don't want that. I am, I am Black Mississippi and that informed my interactions in this place. Um, 
And and as much as this is a story about race and regional development, it's a story about blues tourism and black culture. It's a story about place and and community and so forth and so on. It's also a story of discovery. It's a story mm -hmm. about a sociologist who came to a place with a set of preconceived notions mm -hmm. and who was corrected over and over again uh, and who has tried to render that journey of discovery and being wrong and going back to the drawing board and revising and revising, who is trying to present that in a way that will both, to your point, be beautiful. I did want to make a piece of good art. I wanted something that sounded and felt good, but that's also instructive that folks could learn something about. And so the, the first point, excuse me, is just about, um, especially early on, uh, the, the the repeated use of I. Another, what I think is is kind of a defining feature of the book, maybe defining feature is overstatement, but um, <laughs> another characteristic is that is that like the main body of the book from, from prelude to coda, from prelude, intro, substantive chapters, uh, conclusion, coda, it's, it's relatively short. Uh, it's relatively light on citations um, or it's, there are no citations in text, but it's relatively light on direct references to, to scholars and scholarship. Uh, and it is written in a way that centers the people and centers language. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and it looks that way on purpose because I wanted folks who wanted a story about race and or about race in the South and or about race in Mississippi to be able to get the book and get to that story in a way that's relatively straightforward. You can't read those first hundred or so pages and not learn something, mm -hmm. um, which is a part of the point as well. Uh, but but that that main body of the book is written so that that folks, um, as many folks as possible, could read it uh, and fill it, and then also learn something. Then we get this really long methodological note, which I don't think I'll ever put in anything else that I ever write. <laughs> um, but but. Uh, I, I do think it's it's actually a valuable component of this. I know I say at the front end of the of the note, I've told you what I found. Here is what I did. I I reflect. I, you know that is in there for any number of reasons. One reason is that one of the book reviewers said, "Hey, give us a methodological note." That's the super practical reason. Another is that though, as a grad student, I remember relying on and learning so much from the methodological notes. And I, the the one that's off the top of my head is is Karen Lacey's Butcher Black. Uh, but there, there, there are a dozen, there are a dozen uh, books that, that outline the methods uh, that, that they use, thinking about evicted Matthew Desmond. Um, they outline the methods that they use in ways that, that were instructive for me as a, a sociologist and ethnographer uh, in training. Uh, and then, and then, and I don't know if this comes through, uh, but, I did a well. I did a lot in Clarksdale, so maybe that comes through. But I, my approach. Let's see how to say this. My approach to ethnography is to live in a place and to build a relationship with the place and the people, and to take notes as I go, mm -hmm. and and to and to allow my curiosities or the questions uh, that I have guide the interactions or maybe shape some of the conversations that I have. But I don't come to a place to study a place to to sit. Thank you for for agreeing for to sit for this interview. I'm in a place to learn and, and come to know the place and the people and in, that, in those processes to maybe learn something that can be instructive to, to some broader public. The, the methodological note is just my attempt 
to to decipher that process using the language and frames of social science methods. Um, and and again, the point there is just to to show, uh, and it's kind of a you know it's it's. I, I won't say it's throwing shade, but it's like saying, I, look, I did, here are my receipts. I did the work. I did it how y'all told me to do it, even though it don't look how y'all, you know, even though it don't look how it usually does. Uh, and, and then I know this is getting long with it, but then I get to the, to the notes, to the end notes. And that is where I do the work of, um, of, of referencing the, the scholars that I'm in conversation with. That is where you get more of you get you get you get something that looks closer to um, closer to you know what we might think of when we when we or what we might expect when we sit down to read some some sociological research. But yeah, it's 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 organized in that way on purpose so that any number of folks who might find their way to the book could could find some value, could get something from it. Um, and then in terms of the style, uh, I. I mean, I think the, I think number one for me, and and you know, I was, I was trained by by like some of the baddest writers doing it, like from from Zandria, who was Zandria, Dr. Zandria Robinson, uh, who's written *Dissent Chicago*, *Chocolate Cities*, uh, who is is now um, in the FM department at Georgetown. Uh, you know, she was my she was my undergrad thesis advisor and mentor, and then was on my dissertation committee and has continued to be a mentor now um, as I as I kind of make this progress on the tenure track. Uh, but then other folks that I've met along the way, folks whose names will be recognizable, Kiese Lehman, Regina Bradley, folks that at least right now maybe, um, you know, maybe are not, a, this is a bad way to, to introduce them, some people. You, they are not as recognizable as such and such, but but folks who who, who people may not be familiar with, like, Pico E. Woodsy at at Davidson, um, and Ke Dr. Kimber Thomas, Dr. Kimber Thomas at who's who's now a fellow at UNC Chapel Hill, uh, folks who care about language, folks who care about how their work feels and how it sounds and how it looks on the page, uh, and 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 you know this was a tension that I carried with me throughout. I wrote. You know, on that first day or that first night in Clarksdale, I wonder if I'll be able to say something beautiful. A part of that was um, about the the character of people's lives and the place itself. A part of it was about the art. A part of it was about the language, the words on the page. And so, and so there was this uh, attention to how the work sounds, and and then there's wordplay, um, and then there's there's me inserting me talking how we talk, you know. <laughs> Um, um, whatever I say, ethnographic work on the South ain't been done enough, or how I don't know. It, I don't know exactly the, the language, but talking how we talk, talking how Black Southerners, Black Mississippians talk, uh, which is another way of saying, for me, the goal is communication. The goal is 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 storytelling. The goal is not to write something that fits into the conventions of the discipline. So forth and so on, and so so yeah, those are a few few things about about the structure and about the style. 
I feel like I was talking for like 20 minutes. So I don't know, you know, you probably ain't got no more questions. You probably like, bet, thank you. That's all Look, you me. put it all out there. Yes, because as I was reading it, and I, I like to start books with the acknowledgements first. Uh -huh. So that's how I started reading yours as well. I started with the acknowledgements, which you put at the end or which yeah. your publisher put at the end. I'm not sure, but I started at the end. I read the acknowledgements and then I read that very lengthy methodological <laughs> note. Oh. <laughs> longer than some of the chapters I feel like I read that right and then I started actually reading the text but I feel like you have to know kind of where people are coming from in the acknowledgments and that really just lays out where folks are coming from and then with the methods again knowing like where folks are coming from yeah and yep. You know, it was so instructive. And since I started there, maybe I also read the book a little bit differently because I read the methodological note and all of the yeah. work that you did. And I knew that there was a very specific um, purpose in the story yeah. that you were going to tell in the text because yeah. you had spent yeah. so much time with folks, so much time in places and spaces. Yeah. And there was something really important that needed to be said that was re representative of the folks that you were with um, and telling their story, but also, yeah. you know, your story along the way. So even in the chapter, when you talk about that, you know, that I, they, we, or that, you know, yeah. I, us, uh -huh. them, it's also yeah. you going through those phases. <laughs> um, Absolutely. In, in you know throughout the book as well so I yes. read it at, like you said as it's kind of like self-discovery um I read it as a book that is like this is the book that people um, are going to assign to their students when they want to talk about methods I read it as that and I read it as like this is a book that really makes it accessible to people right because you can read it as just like a general person who's like oh I kind of like the blues yeah. what is this you know what is this book about um, and get something like you said get something from it or you can read it from you know an academic or yeah. someone who really knows the blues or really knows theory and get something totally different I, I wanted to I appreciate all of that I appreciate that so much and I wanted to to say one more point about um about this being a model in terms of of the methods and and if that becomes so if that's the case i hope that it is for this reason i hope it's not for what may appear to be an ambitious undertaking of interviewing hundreds of folks and and maintaining an active relationship with my with the folks in the in in the at the field site with the people in Clarksdale, maintaining an active relationship for for five years and counting. I mean, the book the book you know was released was released last year. I was in Clarksdale. Um, I've I've definitely been to Clarksdale a handful of times in the last six months. COVID not COVID notwithstanding. Um, but but I hope that it becomes a model not for the scope of the methods or the data, but but. But for that that point that I made earlier about ethnography and this type of work being about uh, or beginning with uh, this interest in relationship building, uh, building relationship with relationships with the place and people, trying to come to know a place and its people. If that's the starting point, of course, I didn't talk to enough people. If that's the starting point, 
I, the book needs to wait. I need to go and spend some more time. I think that the scope is required. The scope makes perfect sense. The magnitude makes perfect sense. If the starting point is not doing an, ethnogra an ethnographic project, I'm going to go do an ethnography on such and such. If the starting point is I have a set of questions, a set of curiosities, there is a place that I can go to that seems like it might help answer some of those questions. Let me go to the place and come to know it. Let me spend some time in the place and come to know the people. And then let me make sure that I do so, um, or maybe it's not and then, but as I, as I do what I just said, like, let me make sure I'm doing it ethically, making sure, making sure, let me make sure I do it with empathy, with care. Um, and then let me make sure I keep my receipts so that, and, 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 and discipline is important too. It ain't just about being defiant. I, I got my receipts for anybody who want to, it's about, I think, good science. It's about, cause I, I, I don't call myself a sociologist first. I'm a writer, I'm a storyteller, and I'm trained in the methods and perspectives of and in, in frameworks of sociology. But I am a sociologist. And I don't think that this book is only, uh, you know, this this book may not fit only in like the sociology category in the bookstore or on Amazon, but it is sociology. Um and excuse me, I don't know what's but it 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 is sociology and um yeah anyway I don't know I think I lost my train of thought but but the 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 point about the point about the methodological piece for me is it's never about it is never oh right this is the point I was gonna make keeping up with your receipts making sure you can talk about what you did it's not just about having them for the sake of having them it's having them for the sake of adding to this enterprise of trying to understand the world that we live in um so yeah but 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 the methods point for me is it's not about magnitude or scope it's about kind of what brought me to the place in the beginning mm -hmm. absolutely and i mean i think you know, even as you kind of talk about in that prelude, you know, you tell the story that needed to be told, not the story that you set out to tell or that you hope that you would tell or, you know, whatever, but the story that needed to be told. And I, you know, I think people will really appreciate that and it will come through that this is the story that needed to be yeah. told. Well, Dr. Foster, thank you so much for spending some time with us this morning. It has been thank a you. pleasure to have you. Yeah, it's been fun. Um, my my students and my family and my friends have uh, have made sure that I know that I talk a lot. Um, and so this was a nice this was a nice opportunity for me to do what people say I do a lot of. So anyway, but no, I, I so appreciate the space and the opportunity. And uh, and I appreciate the kind words about the work. I can tell from the from the kind of questions that you ask, um, and from the conversation in general that you spend some time with it. And and that might seem like a simple thing, but I've done enough of these now to know that everybody don't spend <laughs> time with with the work that they that they want to talk to you about. So I I thank you for for spending time with the work and for the kind words and. You know, I'm excited to see what you have coming, you know, what you got coming down the pike moving forward. And, and then I'm excited to to get back to work on this side. But but thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. Thank you. 
Thank you again to Dr. Brian Foster. His book is I Don't Like the Blues, Race, Place, and the Backbeat of Black Life. And for today, I'd like to leave you with this quote from Muddy Waters that says, my blues are so simple, but so few people can play it right. Y'all, thank you so much for spending some of your Saturday morning with me. I will see you back here next Saturday at 9 a.m. This is Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR. And don't forget, wherever you are in the world, you can also tune in on WYXR.org. And you can catch up with past shows there as well. I'm Sanaa, and I will see you back here next week.